0: Well, we're in Exodus chapter 8, verse number 1 this morning. We're going to just read this one verse as we launch into this passage. Exodus chapter 8, verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, go unto Pharaoh and say unto him, thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this great student body. Thank you for the guests who are here with us this morning. And Lord, I pray that you'd please help us as we open up your word, that we would open up our hearts and that you would stir us And I pray that you would please challenge our hearts this morning from the example that Moses gives. Lord, I pray that you'd please help us to be able to leave the world and to not look back. And I pray that you would use us in a great way for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Many people today find themselves trapped in the slavery Of this world. Now, I have just a typical rat trap here uh, this morning, and I'm not gonna ask who has used this in the dorm or not, but most of you have probably seen one of these rat traps. And I tell you what, this thing could do some real damage to not only a rat but also really anything that gets in the way uh, of this trap. Now, I'm looking for a volunteer this morning, a brave volunteer, a volunteer who trusts me. Oh, just a few. Okay, all right. Oh, let me see here. Micah, I see that hand. Come on down. Micah's in my class, and uh, Micah is in my evangelism class. Come on up here. Micah says that he is brave. (laughs) Okay, he's taking that back now. Oh, oh, okay, so he he trusts me, okay? So uh, teacher-student relationship, that's usually a a good thing. Uh, So I have this trap here, Micah, and let me just tell you, I've been waiting for this, okay? Uh, This is a great opportunity. Uh, uh, Yes, you still have to take the quiz tomorrow, okay? But if you trust me, would you be willing to put your finger into this trap? <laughs> you do. Really? Yeah. Okay. Wow. You, you just you seem very confident about this. The emergency room isn't too far. <laughs> the away, emergency so. room isn't too far away. That's really good. That's a good spear. All right, here we go. Are you ready? We have to watch out for these traps in life, so you're going to prove it to us. Okay, here we go. Go ahead. And three, two, one. What? What? It's not working. Good night. Get out of here. What in the world? There are traps that Satan sets in our lives. And there are traps that a lot of times we don't really understand the significance of it. Now, unlike this trap here, when we get in Satan's trap, it is going to destroy us. And if you remember as you set up a little trap for a rat, what do you put right on the end of this? You put something that is alluring, something that is going to get that rat's attention, some delectable cheese or peanut butter that they are going to come after. And that is exactly what Satan does in our lives. Satan will give us just a season of pleasure in sin, but in the end, that trap is going to snap and is going to destroy our lives. Now, in this passage, Exodus chapter eight, Moses has been called earlier to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, a story no doubt you're familiar with. Moses argues about, it a little bit for a few chapters, doesn't think he's worthy, gives a lot of excuses. But eventually, in chapter number eight, he is standing before Pharaoh and he is giving Pharaoh God's message. He is giving him the message to let God's people go. And much to Moses' surprise, Pharaoh doesn't listen. Now, I know if I was in Moses' shoes and I was journeying all the way from Midian over to Egypt, and God Himself, Jehovah God, appeared to me in a burning bush and told me to go do this and to tell Pharaoh this, I think I would have some preconceived notions that when I go into Pharaoh's courtroom, and no doubt Moses knew uh, Pharaoh from being in the palace before, and uh, there was obviously some type of a relationship there, and I would assume if I were Moses that when I walk, walked into that courtroom and I obeyed God, that God would do an amazing miracle before me and that Pharaoh would melt in conviction and say, yes, take them away. And that's not what happens. Pharaoh actually laughs in Moses' face. And Pharaoh makes it worse for the people of God than it was before Moses showed up. He makes their burden harder. He makes them gather their own straw now for these bricks. And even the children of Israel are upset with Moses saying, Why didn't you even come in the first place? Would you please just go? And yet we see a faithful man who continues to follow the will of God in his life. We know the story. God sends the plagues. The first plague was the Nile River turning into blood. This would have no doubt been a horrible plague that would have affected Egypt's economy and and obviously their water supply there in the Nile River. Uh, Pharaoh says, okay, take away the plague and I'll let you go. And he's obviously lying. And the second plague comes. And uh, the second plague's kind of my favorite, I have to tell you. The second plague, I just kind of envision in my mind all of these Millions of frogs just taking over everything. Okay, I mean, I'm lying in bed and the alarm goes off, and I roll over, and squish, there's a frog. And then I get out of bed and put my slippers on. Squish, 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 squish. All the way to the bathroom. Open up the cabinet in the bathroom. Get my toothbrush. There's a frog right there on the toothbrush. I mean, just keep going over and over throughout the day. And there are frogs everywhere. And Pharaoh finally says, take the frogs away. And amazingly enough, he says, take them away tomorrow, which is a whole nother sermon. But he says, take uh, the frogs away. And Moses uh, calls upon God for that. We have the third plague, the lice. What a horrible plague. Uh, If you're in uh, some type of a school setting, you know how awful lice can be. If one person gets it, everybody gets it. You have to scrub, you have to clean, you have to get everything uh, out of there uh, with lice. And then we have the fourth plague, flies. And we have these swarms of flies and gnats taking over the land. And after the fourth plague, Pharaoh has a plan... Pharaoh's not just going to lie to Moses now. He actually thinks that he can come to a compromise. Now, compromise is part of any relationship, okay? Uh, it doesn't matter what kind of a relationship you have. Compromise is going to be a part of that relationship. doesn't matter if you're in some type of a dorm setting. How many of you guys have realized that you have to compromise with your roommates, right? Just a few of you, okay? You'll, you'll figure it out eventually, I remember when I was in college, is my senior year, and uh, I—where are my seniors? I, I oh yeah, there you go. Uh, I know, I, I know you probably aren't experiencing this yet, but when you're a senior, you get something called senioritis, and you're just ready to be done, right? I know, I know, I know you guys can't relate to that, but I had senioritis, and I had two freshman roommates, okay? And they did not understand what senioritis was, and they made it their goal to uh, try to find my boiling point. My wife says I'm a very patient person, and uh, yet some people try to find my boiling, boiling point, And that's what these roommates did. And one day I walked into my room and found this on my bed. My books on my bookshelf had been flipped around completely... Uh, And if you have OCD, that really bothers you, okay? And all of my shoes, they had taken out every one of my shoelaces. Now, I don't know if you've ever uh, had a moment where you've had to relace all of your shoes, but it's very, very frustrating. And uh, sometimes it's hard to compromise with people, right? But we know that if we're in some type of a dorm setting, we're going to have to compromise. If we're in some type of a dating relationship, you're going to have to learn to compromise. In married life, you're going to have to learn to compromise. Uh, One of the greatest decisions... Uh, for our married life with me and my wife is uh, ordering pizza. We've learned how to compromise with ordering pizza. She likes pepperoni and I like uh, chicken and pineapple. Don't knock it till you've tried it, okay? And so our compromise is pineapple, okay? (laughs) So uh, maybe maybe we need to learn a little bit more about compromise. But in any type of a relationship, you're going to have to have compromise. But we should have no relationship with the world. James 4.4 tells us, Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. We should not be compromising with the world because we should never have a relationship with the world in the first place. Now when we talk about the world this morning, we're talking about this prominent culture around us that hates Christ. And the Bible is very clear that if you are a friend with the world, you are an enemy of God. The question this morning is this, are you making excuses for your compromise with the world? So let's examine four traps this morning where the world tries to compromise. Thankfully, Moses had the wisdom to overcome these traps. Look at the first one here in chapter number 8, verse number 25. Verse number 25. And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to the Lord or to your God. Or the last three words. In the land. In the land. Land. You see, Pharaoh was fine with Moses worshiping God as long as he would stay in Egypt's dominion. In dominion. You see, Satan is the same way. Satan wants to compromise with us and and wants us to still live in the dominion of sin. Romans 6, 13, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. John chapter 8, verse number 36, Jesus says, if the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I am thankful this morning for Christ's sacrifice on the cross that frees us from the penalty of sin and also frees us from ...the power of sin. And I am thankful that we have a Savior this morning... ...who gave his life and gave a sacrifice... ...a perfect sacrifice... ...a propitiation, a payment for our sin... ...so we don't have to live in the dominion of sin anymore. You might think, well, Brother Nathan... I, I, ...I'm in Bible college, obviously, I know that. Or I, I'm a high schooler, I go to Christian school, obviously... I know that. I'm I'm the leader in the youth group. I'm the one that everyone looks to. Uh, I'm the popular one. Of course I know that. I have heard that over and over and over again. The question is, have you done anything with it? You see, there's a very, very clear difference between a head knowledge and putting your trust in that sacrifice. And if you feel like you're just hitting your head against the wall and just trying to do uh, things right and trying to obey the rules and trying to look good for other people and and you're frustrated and you just feel like you're still in that dominion, let me encourage you this morning to reassess your salvation and to ask yourself, do I trust in the living God for my salvation? Do I trust in Jesus Christ Christ, his sacrifice, and his resurrection to take me to heaven. Yes, you can know it. Yes, you can recite it to me. Yes, you can memorize all the verses. But have you put your complete trust in Christ to take you to heaven one day? You see, it's just like, it's just like getting on a plane. There you, you get on a plane and you have no control over where you're going. You might buy a ticket to Chicago, but you really have no control where that plane goes. You're getting on the seat, you're putting your seat belt on, and you have absolutely no control over where that plane is going to end up. You know who has control? The pilot. You have to put your complete trust and faith in that pilot to get you to where you need to go. You can believe in the plane. You can believe in the seat or the seat belt. You could buy a ticket, whatever you could do, but until you put your complete faith and trust in that pilot to get you there, you're not going to get there. And if you have not put your complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ... ...and you're just going through the motions... ...and everyone thinks you're saved... ...and everyone thinks you're the leader... ...everyone thinks that you're the great Christian in the youth group... ...or in the Bible college... ...and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus... ...then I encourage you to take care of that today. Do not live in the dominion of sin. You don't have to. Christ has already fought the battle. Christ has already won the war... And we do not need to compromise with the world in dominion. Secondly, this morning, Moses says, no, that, that, that's not going to work. We're, we're going to obey God completely. And then in verse number 28, Pharaoh gives another compromise. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that ye may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. If you stop right there, Moses is getting really excited at this point. But then he says, only ye shall not go very far away and treat for me. So Pharaoh says, okay, all right, all right. If you have to be real, if you have to get out of my dominion, that's fine. But let's compromise in distance. Just don't go very far away. If you want to be a Christian, fine. If you want to get saved, fine. Fine. But don't become one of those radical Christians. Don't become one of those Christians who are completely surrendered to what God wants them to do. The world calls to us and says, okay, fine, if you want to be a Christian, be a Christian. But don't go very far away. Don't create distance between us and you. Psalm 1-1 says otherwise. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Do you see the progression here in this verse? He's not just talking about sitting with the scornful. He's not just talking about standing in the way of sinners. But he says, I will not even walk in the counsel of the ungodly. I will create some distance between me and the world. You see, the world is okay if you go to church on Sunday, as long as you live uh, like the world the rest of the week. And Psalm 119, 115 says, Depart from me, ye evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. How can I depart from evildoers? How can I create this distance between me and the world? Well, the answer is in that verse I just read, the last two words, my God. When God becomes your God, it's easy to depart from evildoers. It's easy to have some distance between you and the world. When God becomes your God... When God is not the God of my parents, the God of my pastor, the God that I hear about in Sunday school or in church every week, when God becomes my God, when I have spent time with Him, when I am devoted to Him, when I have given my life to Him every single day, asking God what He wants me to do and walking in the Spirit, when I am when I am following God all the way, then He becomes my God, and that distance is very very, very easy. But let me encourage you with something. A lot of times we judge our spirituality from our distance from the world. I need one more volunteer here. Don't worry, I don't have any more mousetraps. Okay, one more volunteer here. Uh, let me see here. Chaz, come on up here really fast for me. Chaz is going to represent God. Okay, you, you, you're gonna, you okay with that? All right, a big responsibility, okay? So I want you to come over here. And uh, now God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never moves, right? I need one more volunteer here, one more volunteer. Let me see here. Come on down, come on down. And uh, you're going to be the world. You okay with that? Okay, all right. Kind of look a little worldly. (laughs) I'll have to talk to the deans <laughs> later on. Okay, but uh, the world is over here. Now come over here, world, world. How many of you realize that you know, hundred years ago, the world, you know, church. I'm going to represent the church. Here we go. You know, and I'm stay away from the world. Okay, bad world. How many of you realize that in the last hundred years, the world has just gotten a little worse? Okay, so you keep going over there. You're 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 drifting from God. You know what the church does? Got the measuring tape out here. I'm 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 just going to make sure I'm distant from the world enough but at the same time what is happening we're we're leaving God as long as, as long as I have those particular rules or those particular standards in my life and I'm making sure I'm st- keeping this distance and as long as I'm not that bad, right? As long as I'm not doing what they're doing, then I'm okay. And if I keep comparing my Christian life with the worst person in the youth group or the worldly uh, crowd or, or uh, what, what's on television or on Netflix, if I, keep, if I keep comparing myself to that, then before I know it, I've drifted, and I have to have a serious uh, prayer time with God and a meditation on what I need to get right because our, our distance from the world is not the gauge for our spirituality. God is. And last time I checked, none of us have reached there yet. Thank you, guys. Let's be careful about judging our distance from the world. Yes, we should be distant. I'm not, I'm not going to compromise with Pharaoh. Just go a little, little bit. No, that's not what I'm going to worry about. But the goal is not distance from the world. The goal is closeness to God. Number three. We see, we see that Mer- Moses doesn't accept this. And we have a fifth uh, plague that comes. The famine. Famine comes and destroys the livestock and and again, a huge blow to the economy and uh, everything that's going on in Egypt. Then we have the boils. This is, this is awful. If you've studied boils in the Old Testament, Job had boils. He used clay to peel them off. And, and uh, just an awful experience, a horrible, painful experience and, for the Egyptians. And yet, Pharaoh would not give in. And so we have, we have the uh, plague number seven, hail. And we have uh, the hail destroying uh, the, li- the, the uh, livelihood of the Egyptians. And we see that uh, all of their fields are now destroyed with hail. Acts tells us that this hail was mingled with fire. And this destroyed the countryside of Egypt. So Pharaoh has another compromise in chapter number 10. Chapter number 10 and verse number 8. He calls Moses again... And Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh, and he said unto them, Go, serve the Lord your God. But who are they that will go? And Moses said, We will go with our young, and with our old, with our sons, and with our daughters, with our flocks, and with our herds. Will we go? For we must hold a feast unto the Lord. And he said unto them, Let the Lord be so with you, as I will let you go. ...and your little ones, look to it, the evil is before you. Not so. Go now ye that are men, and serve the Lord. For that ye did desire, and they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. What is Pharaoh saying here? He's saying, if you're not going to live in the dominion... ...and if you're not going to compromise with distance... ...then let's compromise in descendants. Because it's okay... ...to the world... ...when the adults are serving God. The real target... ...is on the teenagers. The real target... ...is on the Bible college student. The real target is on the children. Satan is fine... ...if the past generation... ...is serving God. But... ...he wants the future. And Pharaoh says... ...okay, if you're going to go, go. But... You go and take the men, leave the children. You can take the adults, but give me the teenagers. And we live in a culture today that is asking the very same thing. We live in a culture who is not asking, but more demanding the very same thing. Psalm 71, verse number 5. For thou art my hope, O Lord, thou art my trust from my youth Verse number 17 of the same chapter, O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Ecclesiastes eleven nine: Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But I know thou that for all these things will God bring thee unto judgment. There is a great message in the Bible that you should not wait to serve God when you're an adult. You should serve God now. And you're probably thinking to yourself, well, I've heard my youth pastor say that over and over and over again. Why do they keep saying that? There's a reason, because if you're not serving God now, you're not gonna serve God when you're an adult. Believe me, it gets a little harder. When you have bills to pay and a family to support and uh, all of these different things that are in your life that are not here now. It gets harder to serve God in the future. And if you're not serving God now and you're not completely devoted to God now, then you are not going to be serving God in the future. And Satan knows it. Satan has a target on your back. And we've lived in a world that says that teenagers can't accomplish anything for God. Just wait or college students you just need to wait till you graduate or just keep waiting don't you don't need to accomplish anything for god now just enjoy the years in which you live and yet when we look at the bible and we look at history we see teenagers all throughout scripture and all throughout history are who are sold out for god and god uses them and stirs adults and stirs nations with their testimony the bible is very clear to make sure that no man despises thy youth but be thou an example to the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and in purity. We need some Davids who will stand up against the Goliath as a teenager and will, when no one else wants to fight the sin of this world and no one else has the courage to do so or to go out soul winning in your church, we need a David to stand up and to fight Goliath. We need men and women who are teenagers and who are Bible college students who will get real with God and say, Satan I'm not going to compromise with you. Just because my parents serve God doesn't mean that I have to, but I am going to follow God with all of my heart. I think about men throughout history. Jonathan Edwards, he was born into a family with 10 sisters. Heaven help us. Jonathan Edwards at the age of 13 was entered or was accepted into Yale College. He wrote essays about the mind and science discussing atomic theory back in the 1700s. That was a big deal. He wrote essays on the scriptures. He graduated as valedictorian from Yale at age 17. Don't tell me you can't pass that class. Don't tell me you can't get that project in on time. God wants to use you. And until you get serious about what God has you to do... ...you're not going to be able to be used by God. John Wesley, he was the same age as Jonathan Edwards... ...he was the 15th child in the family. There were 19 kids. Each child could read as soon as he could walk and talk. Every child spoke Latin and Greek proficiently... John Wesley was saved from a burning building when he was five years old. And he looked back to that time. Even, even after he was saved, he looked back to that time in his life that God had spared him for a reason. God has a reason for your life as well. George Whitfield was 11 years younger than Edwards and Wesley. He, was not, he did not come from the rich families that they did. He was a servant boy in college. Now talk about a work study program. This is what George Whitfield did to work his way through college. He was a servant boy to other students. So he would carry their books, he would clean their rooms, he would assist with their homework, and worst of all, he would help them bathe to work his way through college. God definitely blessed the humility of George Whitfield. ...in the upcoming years. I think a Bob Jones Sr., age 12... ...served as the Sunday school supervisor in his church. Age 12 held his first revival meeting... ...with 60 saved in a week. Age 13, he started his own church. And age 14, he was a licensed evangelist... ...by the Methodist Church... I think of even our own pastor, Pastor Chapel, who tells the story of his dad getting in the pulpit... ...and asking for someone who would be a captain for the next bus route. We need to start a new bus route to reach our community. And all the adults just kind of looked at each other. And in fifth grade, Paul Chapel stands up on the front row and says, I'll do it. And I'm sure someone laughed. I'm sure someone thought that was ridiculous. But Pastor Chapel got on his bike and rode around the neighborhood and knocked on doors and asked kids to come ride his bus. He got his bus driver to drive the bus. Obviously he couldn't. And he made a difference in his community at fifth grade. Junior, senior in high school, Bible college student, don't fall for the lie of the devil that you cannot do anything now. God wants to use you You can make a difference in your generation for Christ. But you're going to need to set some things aside. And you're going to need to take that target off your back. And you're going to need to tell the world and the flesh and the devil that I don't have time for all of that. Because I am going to live for something greater. I will not compromise. I am so thankful for Generation Z. I am so thankful for your generation I'm not going to be foolish enough to call you millennials, okay? I know that offends you. You're not millennials. Generation Z has such a passion for changing the world and making a difference. I think part of that is you look at millennials and you're like, good night, I need to do something with my life. Millennials are apathetic and we just kind of have this whatever mentality. God help us. But Generation Z, you guys look at that. And you've lived up, you've grown up in a post 9-11 world... You're dealing with COVID at a young age and all of the changes that the world has gone through the last two years and there's a fire burning inside of you to do something about it and to make a difference in your generation. But be very careful because there are gonna be worldly philosophies and worldly agendas that are gonna target that desire. And if you're not careful, you're gonna be giving your heart to ungodly agendas and you're gonna be giving your heart unbeknownst to you, to people who hate God. You need to come back to God and make a difference for your generation and the cause of Christ. Don't compromise in descendants. God can use you. Lastly this morning, and we'll be done. There is one final compromise that Pharaoh threw at Moses. Obviously Moses didn't agree, so we got the eighth plague. Locusts come through the land, destroy everything that was left over from the hail. And then darkness, talk about an awful plague, not being able to see the hand in front of your face. And Pharaoh calls Moses one more time in chapter number 10, verse 24, and he tries to make one more compromise. Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, go ye, serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. The devil is fine, you get saved, you're freed from the dominion of sin. He'll try to compromise with you on distance and descendants. But he has one last compromise, one last trap that he's going to throw our way. It's in our desires. See, Pharaoh knew that if they left all their stuff back home, that they would be back. Pharaoh knew that if they could leave their flocks and their herds in Egypt... That eventually they would come back. I mean, we read all throughout the book of Numbers how much these, the, the children of Israel wanted to go back to Egypt. And that was with taking everything. And Pharaoh knew that if they left their stuff back there, that they would eventually be back in the world. Don't let Satan compromise with you. ...in your desires. 1 John 2, 15 tells us what the world is. John defines this for us. For it, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's what feels good. The lust of the eyes, that's what looks good. And the pride of life, that's what makes me look good. All of that is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, I've heard many times a preacher say, uh, God's never going to ask you to do something that you don't want to do. I would disagree with that because we have a whole book of the Bible about a guy who didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. He got swallowed by a whale, if you remember. (laughs) God may ask you to do something that you initially do not want to do. But the promise is that when you look back, you will be glad ...that you followed him. I, I think about a lot of times we use this illustration... ...in preaching to teenagers. Sometimes we, we, we think you guys can't understand things... ...for some reason, and you guys don't have critical minds. You do. You can understand this. A lot of times we say things to you guys like... ...well, you know, surrender to God... ...it doesn't mean that you're going to be sent to Africa someday. You ever heard that before? Surrender to God, it doesn't mean you have to go to Africa... ...or to the jungles. Just surrender to God and God will, God will keep you happy, basically... I'm here to tell you this. Some of the happiest people I've ever met are missionaries to Africa. Why? They're following what God wants them to do, and they are happy. God is giving them the desires of their heart. ...because they are open and willing and surrendered to God's will. Psalm 37, 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. What desires are you holding back this morning? If you have a desire in the world or the flesh or of the devil then Satan knows you're going to come back eventually. This whole Bible college thing really isn't going to work out. Oh, you may even graduate from Bible college, but eventually you're going to go back to the world. But if you have completely turned over every desire, knowing that God is going to fulfill those desires in the future, then you are going to be able to be used of God in a great way. Well, unfortunately, Pharaoh didn't take... Uh, didn't didn't agree with Moses, and Moses leaves, and we read of the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn. Finally, they are delivered from Egypt. What a process. And it's the same process that we have to go through as Christians. But let me leave you with this, and we'll be done. Only when God's people would not be satisfied with anything less was their bondage broken. Only when God's people would not be satisfied with anything less, was their bondage broken. What are you satisfied with? What has become the norm in your life? It's only when we are completely and totally surrendered that we are able to experience that deliverance I don't know if you've been compromising in dominion maybe you're not even saved I don't know if you've been compromising in distance I don't know if you've bought into the lie that you can't do anything as a teenager that you have to wait I don't know if there's a desire in your heart that you are just completely terrified to give up but let me encourage you if you feel trapped God can deliver you. God can break the chains of sin, but it's only when we will never be satisfied with anything less.